Additive versus multiplicative. Why am I enunciating like that? Additive is adding one more seller. Multiplicative is how can I help every seller? That's what Tony does. He finds the systems, the processes, the approaches that help companies not just build sellers, but an army of them. From hoarding URLs for artisanal puppy tuxedos to a career-defining experience at Datadog, my conversation with Tony saw him flash the qualities that have made and keeps making him so successful. Presence, vast systems knowledge, and relatability. Drill down and get to know my friend Tony a little bit differently. Vamos! Hey, 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 real quick. If you think you're too early to use sales bricks, you're wrong. Why? Because you're never too early to get started on the right foot. Price, quote, and invoice your customers on day one with sales infrastructure that scales with you. No more building this from scratch and having 15 different tools that have to shell out for and keep up with. I mean, you wouldn't start a company without an email address. Then why would you start selling software without sales bricks? Head on over to www.salesbricks.com and start building better revenue today. Tony Granados, welcome to Salesbrick Studio South here in sunny Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us on I'm Not Selling You Anything. Thanks for having me. The weather's nice down here in the studio. Feels a lot like my apartment, but we're <laughs> living in a virtual world. So uh, yeah, it's good to be down in Austin, so to speak today. Tony, you want to jump into it? Let's do it. Tony, what is your superhero origin moment? You looked at the world one way and something happened and that moment has led you to where you are today. So I'm one of those late career changers, right? I did the whole finance thing out of college. I went and ran a nonprofit that I was really passionate about. And then in my mid to late thirties, I said, what is the quickest way to go make some cash illegally? And they said, get into sales. So I was that 30 year old SDR with his MBA, carrying a quota, dealing with all the stress. My superhero moment, it was a bit of an epiphany. I had all the makings and DNA to be a really good and really effective seller, but I was just doing okay. And through that process of going on deals, talking to customers, loving the interaction, I realized pretty clearly that my strength was not as much in selling as it was in educating which is kind of a weird thing because I found some pride and was envious of the sellers out there. But as time went on, I realized that for me, it was really about conveying messages to people. Once I identified that, I realized that the combination of being a really effective communicator and educator matched with being a systems thinker was like an interesting lane that I was able to run down. So it may not be the sexiest superpower individually, but when you combine the two of those, I realized that I had something unique and interesting kind of about my perspective. And that's something that companies needed and I enjoyed doing. That's like my bit by a spider moment, although not as prolific. And, <laughs> and I might uh, rephrase it. What is your yeah. bit by a spider moment? I like that a lot. Tony. Yeah. Radioactive moment. That was kind of it. It was one of those realizations where I'm sitting there saying, you're like, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to get the million dollar deal. You were like, I'm a little more strategic in a way. And obviously it's led you down the right way. But you know, that was that moment you're like, I'm not the guy. Yeah, yeah, it was that. Actually, it was, I don't know if I need to be the guy, right? Because where can I have the biggest impact? And one of my leaders pulled me aside and was like, Tony, listen, you're out there hunting 30 and 60, $90,000 deals, but I need you to help us get to $40 million in ARR. So this is in the earlier stage, a couple of companies ago. 
And you I was can't like, do it piecemeal. Yeah. I realized that like me being big. additive or I could be multiplicative and like additive is adding one more quota. Multiplicative is how can I help everybody around me and in turn help the business. So that was the moment when I shifted where I said, maybe carrying the bag right. isn't the right thing for me. And maybe my skill set is less being the guy going out there hunting and more so being the person helping everybody find the systems, the process and the approach to actually go out and do that. So it was a bit of like an identity shift, but it was one of the most meaningful shifts in my career when I said, maybe it's not selling, maybe it's putting the systems in place, the process in place to build an army of it. sellers. Yeah. It's building an army of sellers versus being the sellers. And it turns out I got a lot of fulfillment from that. And that changed my trajectory for the next few companies, whether it was originally with Percolate was a company where I felt right. it. Then I had a great run at Datadog with great people two years before the IPO as we're in that PLG thing to two years after. And then now over on Airtable and strategy and operations role with an emphasis on enablement, change management, business value. There's been this constant theme coming through for my career and mm -hmm. I've just leaned into it. So that was the anticlimactic, but real origin story of kind of what I'm doing with my career now and how I'm providing for my family. Thank you so much for sharing that. I didn't know about that career shift. I thought you were always strategy toning because I just consider you a high level thinker. And in that sense, you putting these things together, you're not holding the bag anymore, but right. you're facilitating many bag holders. Yeah. And if they don't bring home the business, I get fired. While I may not be the seller, the yeah. seller mentality still persists in me. You know, I was listening to some of your other conversations that people talked about. You're either building the product or you're selling the product. One of the two. I very much feel obligated to help my teams perform or I'm one of the first people to get fired. That's kind of how I live it. A little bit of fear. The neurotic seller still lives in me, man. I think you need a little bit of that to keep that mm -hmm. neurotic seller. So at least a good mix of that neuroticism, I think is good to have. Tony, what is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? So I kind of geek out over a couple things. But the lamest thing I do is I love doing crossword puzzles. Ooh. Now here's the deal. I've met people who are really good at crossword puzzles. And if you've ever done the New like York Times crosswords, exactly. As the week progresses from Monday through Friday to Saturday, Sunday, the crossword puzzle gets harder for me. <laughs> I didn't know that. Me, yeah. I'm still at like the Monday, Tuesday level, but I've been doing crossword puzzles for years. So I think it may be one of those like- There's a blocker things. there, Tony. What's going yeah. on? You can't get to Thursday? I'm not even at Wednesday yet. So crossword puzzles are one. Another unusual thing, I still randomly with my buddies or if I'm having a conversation with my wife and an idea pops into my head, I like to create ideas for businesses, but not fully execute on them. So I'm the owner of many URLs, like .com websites. I need to know the funniest sounding one. Puptux.com for artisanal <laughs> puppy tuxedos. Now it's nothing but basically squatting on a URL. I made an image at one point and I reached out to some people via Etsy who could measure dogs and build tuxedos for dogs for weddings. So it's random website, something I do. It's Google. Goofy, it's funny, and it's a great conversation. Here's the next one. What do you like to do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused? What gets you back on track? That's funny. As I'm thinking about some of these questions, I find some reoccurring themes for myself. So I feel like I'm a bit here. I'm sitting back on the therapist chair here, Brian, as you dissect me. Little bit. Little bit. So for me, when it comes to overwhelmed, I make kind of like two things. If it's during the workday, I walk up to the whiteboard. So I have a whiteboard over here in my office with all sorts of dry erase colored markers. So the physical act of, if I'm in a meeting, I need to have some of that slow down or after a meeting, slow down and think. I'm putting on music, I'm standing up, I'm walking up to the whiteboard, turning away from my computer and I'm drawing out. I'm a very visual thinker. So I'm drawing out problems and just trying to find a different way to think about it. So that's one, when I'm overwhelmed with a problem, I'll go that way. 
Um, get a whiteboard. That sounds get, awesome. Get a whiteboard. You know, I have it one. It's just not on the. Literally, it's over there, and I won't use it. I could put it behind this, but I gotta get it on the wall. Yeah, sorry. Mount it. It'll make you use it. Yeah, um, big time. I make lists. I'm one of those people who makes a list, and the first thing on the list is make lists, so you can cross it out <laughs> and start to show progress. Yeah. I'm very often trying to like when I hit a block, manufacture momentum somehow. So I do that, and then I also run a lot. I'm not a excellent runner. Like I ran my first marathon a couple of years ago as like a personal goal. The 26 plus miles is crazy, man. That yeah. is not, I jumps run a little bit. Congratulations. I, thanks. I did it down in Havana, Cuba in the beginning of Spanish. And I decided at the beginning of the year and ran it on Thanksgiving, missed my flight on the way back, but I did it myself from start to finish and really great accomplishment that I'll never do again. So what is your average at this point? If you don't, oh, run, I don't let's a- average time, not average. Like what do you, so what do I do when to I run, run 26.2 miles? You don't run around and do 26.2 miles. What is your comfortable? I'm going to go for a run. What do you run? How far? Yeah. Nowadays, if I'm going to go for a run, I'll pick up and I'll do four miles. There's a simple four mile loop around my house. And I'll do that once or twice a week if the weather's nice. And you're booking? No, I'm just taking it easy. Like, and like, it's really, fine, it's, right. You don't need to book. I don't need to. It's good music. I get my heart rate up. But for me, it's really about just kind of get into that flow state. I've done some meditation in my life, but- when I go for the run, I'll figure out things related to work and it puts me in a good spot. My dad became a runner later on in life. And every time I go to visit Atlanta, he tries to get me to run with him. And one of my goals this year, Tony, is to get myself in a place physically where I know he's going to ask me and I'm like, sure. And I actually run with him. Yeah. Now he's this like, is going to get go. you. When he tries to talk with you while you're running, that's a whole different speed, whole different control. I think also- he's going to want to run. I don't want to talk. He wants to smoke his son. It was a show that he still, dad still got it. I didn't even consider that, but I know he's competitive. He does the half marathons. I know he Perfect does that distance. at least once or twice a year for sure. Tony, what's the worst advice that you've ever been given? I've been given some bad advice from many people. <laughs> many people. I'm very cautious who I take advice from. I don't take running advice from somebody who doesn't know how to run. I don't take success or life advice or family advice from somebody whose family maybe didn't turn out. So I'm very cautious of who I take advice from. But I think the main one that's really causing a lot of problems broadly is fake it till you make it. I know like we all say it as like a rah, rah, fake it till you make it. I think there's something fraudulent about that. And the reason why I think something fraudulent is like, I am a strong believer of extending yourself and going out to your edge and challenging yourself. But like, I've been around people who are faking it. It's like, dude, just say you don't know. I will respect you the same. Like there's something powerful if you're talking to somebody who is a mentor or somebody who is a peer or somebody who's a work colleague and they're like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. Or like, shoot, I don't even know the answer, but let's brainstorm how I would even try to find that answer. I just think that the fake it to you make it, if it's used as an excuse for being fraudulent, to me, is just disingenuine and it calls integrity into question. And that's, that's one of my core values. I don't mess with that. So okay. I think fake it to you make it gets construed the wrong way. And it becomes this like- If you go too far, lie. you're a fraud. Yeah, it, it becomes a lie. You don't need to fake it. You can tell the people around you like- I don't know. You know hey, I don't know, but I've seen things like this before. Mm-hmm. Let me noodle on it for a bit and I'll get us somewhere. That's <sighs> totally acceptable answer. That's what makes you a high level thinker tone. At times. Or I just say, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. Great when you're vulnerable and kind of putting yourself out there and making it known that you don't know something that people might assume you do. Totally. Fake it till you make it is some really bad advice if you go too far. Yeah. If you're an actual fraud, not great advice. Tony, mm-hmm. thank you. We're going to pop over to something that involves sales bricks. So yeah. Tony has become an advisor, a strategic advisor 
to sales bricks. And we're all very, very happy about it because of the aforementioned things that Tony has done. Tony's a high level thinker. He's gone on and worked at companies like Datadog that did it really differently. Tony, what attracted you to join SalesBricks as an advisor? And why do you think the market needs a solution like SalesBricks? What's really interesting about SalesBricks is that you guys are tackling a problem that's kind of been sitting there and we've all been accepting it. And I can see it from two different angles. So as I told you earlier, when we were chatting this podcast, my career began as a seller carrying the bag. And I know how difficult it is to go work and try to sell a deal, to try to pick up the phone, call somebody who's not expecting you, right? Even in the world of the beauty that is PLG, when the fish are quote unquote jumping in the boat, and we can talk about this later if you want, but you still have to do outbound. You still have to kind of write the news, not just report it. Like you got to go out there and do something. And my experience as a seller was really around, you've got to look at your accounts. You've got to go out and pound on doors and like cold calls are not dead. Sorry, you got to still do the work, pick up the phone calling into people and then navigating that entire sales process. So you like run this marathon. And then at the very end, you hit these internal process hurdles of now I've got to like, I've already talked to the person about what the pricing could look like as like a proposal. And now I got to do all this weird machinations and these internal processes. Like it's at the end of the marathon. Somebody is now putting more hurdles there because of internal stuff. And it just fundamentally felt wrong and exhausting for me as a seller. It created internal strife. And it's very obvious there has to be a better way. And today's better way is traditional CPQ software that even if it's the quote unquote acceptable solution, but it's not like a tremendous solution. It's like a way to get by. So that was something that I felt as like the individual contributor for me. The other side was just the issue related to as somebody who was trying to create the systems and the processes to support an organization that's growing fast, right? I've been at companies where you're saying, hey, we need to change or adjust our pricing model. And it takes six months to figure out the pricing model effectively. And then it takes another three to six months to set up the CPQ to actually take that model into the field. And that just doesn't make sense if you're trying to like iterate on a pricing model. That's actually done at companies, Tony. All of that is actually done today. Tell me how. Yeah. So just going through that experience with, and this is things I've experienced with very high growth companies, companies you want to be at, companies that are having success. You still walk into a room and we say, oh, well, we can't really make that pricing change. Or before we make that pricing change, we need to know that like, it's going to take us three months of developer time to go in and adjust our existing CPQ. And it just makes me want to pull my hair out. I understand that's what many systems require today, but there had to have been a better way. So that little bit of understanding of people who are feeling the pain immediately, the ICs, people who are responsible for solving that pain, but still keeping the rigor and structure and systems for the business. I've been both. And when John was like, hey, do you want to talk about, like, let me show you what we're doing here at SalesRicks. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. It was kind of that simple. And it left me thinking like, is it really this simple? John has effectively convinced me that it doesn't need to be that hard. And it is as simple as you want to make it as an org. And I think just as many more companies are going to be starting up today in the economy, like individuals are being pushed out of larger organizations from reductions in force. Right. Like many of them are going to go on to start their next business. They're probably not thinking about CPQ and they need like an easy way to do it in a way that will be sustainable as they grow. So just a lot of convergences. And then also the charming people of the SalesBricks family, yourself included. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, 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 I forget that I work for SalesBricks sometimes. 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 Yeah. It felt like a right thing to invest in and basically jump into the boat and start rowing with you guys and share what I know and watch you go on to success. So that's been cool. We're happy to have you on the boat, man. Yeah. I love this boat analogy. We're going to run this one all the way down. <laughs> that's really funny. You know what stresses me out? Customer support. 
There's so much to it, which is why I was thrilled when I found out about Atlas. Screen recordings of my customers running into bugs in-app help me understand, diagnose, and close a ticket faster than ever. It's a big reason our customers love us. Chat, ticketing, and automated communications in one place. Learn more at atlas.io. Tony, how did Datadog win in a market that only saw old dogs wanting to do old tricks? I'm referring to the old top-down enterprise sales motions, right? What did you do differently from companies like SignalFX that were doing basically the same thing product-wise? Yeah, so great question. And I know that from your podcast and many of the listeners here, right? Like PLG, product-led growth is all the rage. And I did not know what PLG was until I got to Datadog. And Datadog is one of those companies that's often referred to as having done the model correctly. And the thing about PLG is that it's product-led growth, meaning that the product itself is very easy to use, quick time to value. Individual or a solo actor can go and download the product, have it deployed in their company and their ecosystem and start seeing value immediately. So that like speed was very interesting about Datadog. Prior to when I joined Datadog, that was basically how the business evolved. We spent our first handful of years, maybe seven or eight years, really PLG, where amazing marketing and amazing product came together for a product that, I'll use air quotes here, sold itself. I love how it sold itself in a way. I listened to a podcast with Alex Rosenblatt, the CMO at Datadog, and he talked about how his competitor, it would take three to four weeks for them to just get on with the solutions architect to get them set up on the mm -hmm. product, right? Whereas Datadog, he trained some of the salespeople to get them set up on the phone by the end of the phone call, he was like, by the end of the phone call, the IC would say to the customer, all right, yeah. you're all set up. I'm going to give you, I don't know, three to four weeks to play around with it. And that was the exact amount of time that it would take signal effects or whatever the company was, the competitor, to even get back to them and get them playing around with the product. I thought that was an amazing play. I just want to interject that because of the speed comment that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. That was a play that persisted whether we were in the PLG motion originally, then as we evolved to the sales assisted motion, which is when we had obviously things coming in and then our sellers were very product knowledgeable would get in and say, Hey, Brian, I see you've been using us for four weeks. Let's talk about like, what are you trying to achieve? What are you feeling? Are you hitting any gaps? Hey, we have this upgraded version, or can I share with you these new features? So it was like, the sellers came in, assisted and added value, and then let people know that there's a whole sea of opportunities with these other pieces. Again, Alex had been at Datadog for a number of years and is still there, still great. Yeah. Alex did all of the training as we were moving through that sales assist, him and his, the marketing team. And when I came in in about 2017, that's when we introduced that tops down motion okay. into Datadog. And many okay. companies stumble when trying to cross this chasm of like, we have this PLG Goose that's laying golden eggs right. that we know works and has gotten us this far. Look at how wide we are with this organic growth. But it only and takes you so far, Tony. That's what you're saying? Like you at, at some that. point, it gets you wide, but doesn't get you high up in the organization. And as you go enter truly enterprise sales at these like world's largest companies, like at Disney, right? The CEO of Disney is not using a product. Like they're not using these products. People who are on the front line are using these products. Right. It's not and Little Bob or Big Bob using the no, products over there. No, exactly. They're not touching it up there. So you got to think about it where the PLG motion is amazing for going wide with a viral product. It captures the long tail of all these customers who want to try us and see value. It's great. What we were able to do is we were able to then layer in and attach it to the hip also 
tops down sales motion. So when people came into Datadog's company, we trained them on having a tops down and a bottoms up motion. So the PLG bottoms up as well as the tops down. And if you could actually do this well and speak in both ways, our organization was able to start at both angles and then converge in the middle and win the whole company. So that's what we did differently. And that element of speed we always had it. Our organization knew that we would want to get into bake-offs with our competition. Hey, you want to do a proof of value program? Excellent. We're happy to do that. Now, in order for us to do that, I need to actually make sure that we have clear required success criteria. They have to be approved by your boss, Mrs. Buyer or Mr. Buyer. They have to agree that if we go through this process and we're going to time down into, let's say, four weeks, if we go through this process at the end, we'll be able to make a go-no-go -go decision on if we want to do this investment. Does everyone agree? Yes. Invite signal effects, invite any competitor to the game, and we would go first. And within two hours, we'd have them up and running. And it would be very often that they would shut down the evaluation or the competition because we had already shown them value between like the first hour or two. So it was and it a would have taken them right. The other competitors, it wasn't that quick. It wasn't that quick. And that was a to put credit where credit is due. We had an amazing product team. Datadog was this amazing convergence of an awesome product met really good marketing in PLG. And then it also had a great sales organization led by our CRO, like a great organization. So when you have these things, like you can win, a great sales team can win with an inferior product and an inferior product with good marketing can win without a great sales team. I think the reason why Datadog ended up being really it's such a landmark company is because we had all three of those engines firing. So that's what we did differently is that we were okay saying, let's keep the PLG. Let's figure out how the PLG can work in conjunction with that tops down, that old dog, old tricks thing. And we were just able to move so fast. And by the time that we got up to the C level of a company, we had already converted all of the hands-on keyboard users to like raving barbarians saying, we need this. So it would have been really hard for a business to tell us no because the people already had it in their hands via trials or like quick credit card swipes. Like it was a really great story of how PLG can work in that industry. All right. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for answering that question. It was a big one. We're going to pop over to the second to last question here. We asked Mark Roberge this one a few weeks ago. Give us a prediction for software sales in 2023. What stays the same? What changes? What goes away? Cool. All right. Well, whatever Mark said, I'll agree to that. It's pretty wise. So what do we know? We know that companies are getting leaner every day. And this is sad. This is tough. We're all yep. experiencing this either personally or with friends or family, people who you really value. Companies are going through reductions in force because we're leaning down. That's going to continue as companies get more efficient, right? Some organizations that go through this, it's not because they're cash strapped. Companies may need to react to this because their competitors are leaning down. So think of us of running a race, right? Mm -hmm. Let's go back to that race analogy okay. from earlier today, right? We're all running this constant race, me, you, a couple other people. And if the other three people you're racing against, Spry, we all trim 20 pounds and get that much lighter. Like even if you're running, like you may need to finally trim the weight, not because you're cash strapped, but just to keep up with everyone else. Hmm. So I think that there's going to be some businesses are doing it because of product market fit or because of the money in the bank or lack thereof, but like everyone's going to have to get leaner. And the best way for the listeners who can prevent themselves from doing this is be really damn good at your job. It can still happen to you, even if you're great at your job, right? So you may be really great at your job with a segment of the business that they shutter or turn down or a product line that they turn off, yeah. right? It is not 100% controllable, but the best way to stack your deck is to make sure you're really good at what you do and that and people know it, not in a way, but your performance actually shines through. Work really hard and take pride in your work. I think that's the only way for the individual 
to minimize the possibility of when things get lean. Yeah, yeah, the closer yeah, yeah. you are to revenue, the safer you are every single time. That's almost always the answer to it. And that's why, even as I'm talking to you, I view myself as a seller. I view myself as being responsible for the success or failure of the organization. And if we're doing great, I'm walking with pride. And if we're doing poorly, I'm running like a madman trying to fix it at every individual and every system, because that's my bellwether. And if my CRO or my leader thinks that I'm part of the problem, that's a problem for me. Like I got to solve it. So that's the one. They're getting more efficient and they got to be more efficient and get leaner. The second one is directly for the sellers out there. Yo, sloppy selling will not cut it. As we talked earlier, you can have a great product that sells itself. You can have great marketing that positions it and you're just collecting deals. But at times like this, when the economy is getting questionable, or mm -hmm. suspect. The gap between the excellent sellers and the sloppy sellers is going to widen. The best sellers at your company, those two to three sellers that are the best, are still going to crush it because they're doing something differently. And if you're somebody who's been getting by on the product selling itself or getting by on like, you know, I really don't know. I can't answer the three whys. Like why do anything? Why company X or why Airtable in my instance? And why now? If the seller can't say clearly to me in a concise way, why do anything? Why Airtable? Why now? We probably have an issue with that account. And the seller themselves, it's likely that if that deal wins, but they can't answer those things, there may have been a little bit of luck involved. Yeah. There always is in sales, but you got to minimize your luck. So sloppy selling, you need to know the three whys. You have to have a business value tied to money. That's for landing deals, yes, but even in today's economy, just to retain your customers, which is, again, a macro trend, like retention yep. is the name. You've got to be able to provide business value because your competition is going to come in there and say, well, what has that vendor actually done for you, saved for you, helped you increase revenue, reduce costs, or remove risks? Those are super simple. And you have you to- You got to keep up. You got you to keep, keep up. And you got to suck all the oxygen out of the room so your competitors can't actually get in there. And the way you do that is great service, tied to value, and you're just like on them. 2023 awesome. sloppy selling won't cut it. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great. That's definitely an interesting way to consider it. And it makes a lot of sense. Tony, final question. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? So my favorite quote of all time is from a documentary called Joe Dirt. Are you familiar with Joe Dirt? The movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Dirt, yeah. Uh, life's a garden, dig it. That would be my like goofy <laughs> quote. If we need to put a billboard up somewhere that's not really intended to inspire, but just get people driving past it on the highway, be like, that's funny. Perfect. Right, that's my goofy one. But if someone, something that your grandmother or your family had to see, or, you know, yeah, what would that one be? Find something you enjoy and get really good at it. It sounds like it's written by a third grader, but I think there's some truth in that. I believe that everybody, if you can find something that you enjoy in life, right? Because you're going to be working a lot. You can combine the two, find something you enjoy. And then that second part of getting really good at it, that's the key to success in my mind. I told you earlier, for me, it was, I found that I had this interesting combination of public speaking and systems and the relatability and being able to like get people excited about systems, which for many of us is a boring topic. It's just not the most invigorating thing, but if you can sure. pull those systems thinking together with public speaking, you do all sorts of things related to change management, stress strategy, relation building and building culture. So I think that if you can find that one thing or two things and really invest in it and decide that it's a craft you're going to really care about, I think that that's a huge unlock for how you choose to spend your time during the waking working hours when you're not with your family. So yeah, find something you enjoy. I think it's a great one. And get really good at it. I think mean, that's, that's really kind of, good, Tony. We were saying about how it sounds like a fifth grader or something five years old wrote it. Yeah, right. I think that's the beauty of it. I don't like flowery language. I don't like things that sound like, oh, you're just saying lots of things to get me confused. I like just very direct language. So I really, really like that. Yeah. And life's a garden, dig it. Give me a, give and me the life's a garden, of the dig it. 
Yeah, I'm going to do both, I think, for yeah. you because these are going to show up. Tony, who do you think we should interview next? One of the guys I worked with at Datadog was really outstanding. And we were peers. And then he became my leader as we were starting to grow. Okay. Got by the name of Evan Peters. He's over at a company, Dandy, right now. They do a lot of work with really innovating the way that dental practices and dental lab works are operating. Seems odd, right? To somebody on the outside, both of my parents are dentists. So like it has a warm spot in my heart, but okay. Evan, Evan's just a really smart and thoughtful thinker. And as I was working with him, he was a really good counter to some of the like energies and strengths I had. He had those too, but brought out other things and everybody around him. So he was just a very good leader. And Evan, we have to catch up. I haven't talked to him for a couple months, but just a really okay. I'm gonna guy. I'm gonna clip this and send it over to him. Evan's a really bright guy and cool. uh, super thoughtful. Awesome. Tony, we've reached the end. How do you think we did? I think we did just fine. Hopefully we got some sound bites. Hopefully we got a couple things here for you, but I think it was a really different, just a casual conversation around yeah. like crossword puzzles and David Spade movies. But yeah, hopefully somebody other than you and I, like you said, you're dozens and dozens of listeners. Yeah. Tony, thank yeah, you so much, man. Happy to spend the time. Advice for sellers in 2023 from someone who knows what he's talking about. Sloppy isn't going to cut it. What have you done for me lately? What costs have you helped them reduce? What risks have you helped them avoid? How much more money have you helped them make? Thanks so much for joining me, Tony. I was really happy to have you on the show since we're both PSU alumni and we've known each other a really long time. Knowing that you're here to help us fly sales rigs past where even the James Webb telescope can see is equally exciting. And hey, thanks to our listeners. Don't forget to tune in next week when we interview the Nittany Lion. Bye!